Hello and welcome to the February 10th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is actually a beautiful Saturday. Mm, what do we got? Saturday mid-morning, uh, close to the afternoon time. And I am happy to say that my wife and myself and uh, little Mickey and my two dogs were able to go out on a beautiful walk today, and we... Uh, really enjoyed it. It was a, a nice day. It's probably going to rain in a little while, so we wanted to make sure we got that walk in. Uh, it's really hard when you, you can't get the dogs out for a walk. Um, you know, they, they're dogs that are indoors all the time. They're beautiful designer dogs. I've mentioned them in the past. One is uh, called a Beachapoo, and one is called a Cavachon. And they cost a small fortune, but they were well worth every every single dime that we put into them. <clears throat> Excuse me, considering the fact that we, you know, are probably still paying them off to this day because they were put on a credit card. Uh, but you know, as, as good as they are, they need that exercise, and it helps us too. Keeps my cholesterol down. It uh, it keeps us both in a good mood, and I, I notice that on the days where myself and my wife when we walk we're both happier we're both happier people and uh mickey seems to enjoy it a lot he sits up in his carriage and he just views the takes a takes a stroll around looking at all the sights and it's really awesome you know he's discovering new things and we love it so uh we started the day off that way and uh here i am here i am (laughs) here i am uh you know, ready to talk about bipolar. That's what we are, that's what we need to talk about. Uh, A couple of episodes ago, I had made mention that uh, I wanted to talk about some things along the lines of divorce, some things along the line of home modifications, and we're going to get to all those things. I actually had promised that we were going to do uh, somewhat of a DSM-5 related bipolar 2 podcast and again we're going to get to all of those things i promise you but this is mr joe's bipolar podcast so while we've covered a number of different topics from borderline personality disorder to suboxone usage to anxiety and depression and although i don't think i've done a depression 101 yet uh, and i'm gonna have to do that one as well you get the gist. We've done a lot, but this is a bipolar podcast, and I'd like to concentrate on bipolar today, and specifically bipolar and treating your bipolar symptoms or your bipolar diagnostic di- diagnosis through substance abuse. Now, it may take me a while to get to the substance abuse part, because I think that it's necessary that I talk to everybody about Uh, some of the things that I'm feeling right now, and then I'd like to go back, and it's probably going to be a two-part series. This is going to be part one. 
obviously, and part two will come probably directly after this podcast because I don't want to take too much time in between. You know, I'm, 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 I'm hesitant to discuss any other topics in the middle because I think that we have to go through this in a uniform, almost chronological way so we can eventually get to the substance abuse part. But obviously, if I concentrate on my younger days at first, uh, specifically pre-teenage years, there won't be a lot of substance abuse involved in that aspect. Uh, But it won't take us very long to get to it, because believe it or not, I started abusing drugs and alcohol at the age of 16. And uh, as I've said many times in the past, I'm 42 now, so... There is, without a doubt, uh, undeniable that I have been treating my bipolar disorder essentially my entire life, self-medicating. And there is a great number of my podcast listeners, a great number of my co-workers, a great number of family members who are out there right now wondering, maybe not wondering, knowing that they do have bipolar or some relatable uh, mental illness of some sort in which they are using a variety of substances and self-medicating to make themselves feel better. And what's better to the actual person, the unfortunate thing is, oftentimes it's not better to the people surrounding you. You think you're doing better, you think you feel okay, but little do you know you're acting most of the time like uh, either a raging lunatic or um, an impatient person or somebody who really has uh, maybe a a really great personality but is not uh, expressing their true personality or what they're capable of because they're under the influence so many times. And whether you want to call it that you're numbing the way that you feel, which I have to say is probably what I did most of the time. I made it a point to get rid of, now looking back, get rid of the feelings that I had, that I had literally no control over. And I would constantly tell myself, I can control the way I feel. I can control my moods. You don't tell me. I'm, I'm, you know, yeah, I'm irritable today, but if I want to wake up tomorrow and feel good, I could do it. I, I cannot be depressed. I cannot be wild. I could not. I don't have to party. I don't have to drink. I could stop smoking whenever I want. I can, you know, I I don't need marijuana. I could stop tomorrow if I wanted to. And you know, we say that a lot, especially those of us that are addicts. You know, how many times have we said I could stop whenever I want? And then we go ahead and we do stop. And whether we give ourselves a few days, give ourselves a week even give ourselves a month. It's almost like the longer we give ourselves to stop, the more it indicates to us and our brain that we're capable of stopping so we can just start using again. So bear with me as we go through this. I want to start with how I'm feeling right now. And I will tell you that before I hit the record button, it's interesting because I actually felt that I was in a state that I have not been in in quite some time. And it was very brief, and it actually scared the living heck out of me just now, I have to tell you. Uh, I don't know if I'm tired, 
Maybe that's the reason why, you know, sometimes when we're tired and we suffer from bipolar disorder, if we're not getting the proper amount of sleep, certain symptoms will come out and they don't always necessarily have to be those quote-unquote manic and depressive symptoms. There are other things that might go along with it. In this in this point of time, I, I actually, right before I hit the record button, I felt like I was in a state of what I call depersonalization disorder. And the best way for me to describe it, and again, this has not happened to me in quite some time. The last time I recall this happening to me, I was in my old home, with my ex-wife, not with her, and I, I, I label it as being with my ex-wife because I need you to understand that it was that long ago. It was basically like a, a past lifetime uh, because me and my ex-wife have not been together for over five years now. And even before that, we were separated on two separate occasions before the third time being our last. So when I refer back to um, being with my ex-wife, it does not mean that I was actually in her company. It means that that was the life I was living. That was the home that I was in. It was Mr. Joe's neighborhood, but little bit on the outskirts of Mr. Joe's neighborhood. Let's put it this way. I was a little more east, so to speak, where now I am west in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. But again, what I remember is, and I remember it so clearly because it was so frightening when it happened at the time, um, I was on a very, very high dose of all medications, to say the very least. I was on Depakote at the time. I was on 2,000 milligrams of Depakote. I was on 120 milligrams of Cymbalta. And among other things, I was abusing marijuana to a to a very, very great level. Um, I would smoke marijuana. I would drink coffee. Uh, the marijuana would bring me down. The coffee would bring me up. And all along, you know, the Depakote and the Cymbalta really weren't working too well. They kind of canceled one another out. And probably the reason why they weren't working so well is because I was abusing marijuana at the time. So that throws everything off. Now, one of the other things that I happened to be abusing, and it was a written prescription by my doctor, was Xanax at the time. And you would think that a recovering addict, and I can't give you years here, guys. I don't know the exact years. Uh, but I can tell you, respectively, 2005, I stopped drinking uh, and using cocaine, and 2007, uh, I was, uh, I no longer used opiates, so it would have to have been after 2007, let's put it that way, and I remember being on a very high dosage of Xanax, and one of the more disturbing and disgusting things that I used to do, and this is no offense, please, you know, sometimes I got to watch what I say, because there are listeners out there that I don't want to offend, um, who might have done the same things that I do, or maybe even still doing them now, so I am not judging you, I just want you to know that I've been there and done that, and one of the more uh, disgusting things of what I used to do is I, although I would not smoke in the house that I lived, I would smoke in the laundry room of the basement. And uh, I thought this was a safe place to smoke to keep it away from my children. And when I say smoke, I don't, I'm not referring to just smoking marijuana and just blowing it out the window. I was also smoking cigarettes at the time. 
Uh, now, I quit smoking cigarettes. I actually have a clean date for cigarettes, too, which is awesome. Uh, the last time I had a cigarette was August 13th, 2011. Very proud to say that also. Um, and, and by the way, I know I don't drink or eat on this podcast very often, but I am tired today. So every once in a while, I'm going to take a sip of coffee right now, if you don't mind. I apologize for that. I don't like doing that into the microphone, but I got to do it today, guys. I'm exhausted. So anyway, I smoked uh, marijuana and I smoked cigarettes in the laundry room. And I specifically remember my very first bout, so to speak, of depersonalization disorder. Now, I mentioned I was in a laundry room, so obviously there was a washer and there was a dryer in the laundry room. Heavy dose of Xanax I'm on, and uh, one of the more dangerous things that used to go on is I actually remember there were several times where I used to nod out in my basement while sitting on the dryer, not the washing machine, I believe it was the dryer. What, what what difference does it make? It's really not relevant to what the point is I'm going to make. But I would sit on the dryer or the washing machine and I would smoke cigarettes and a lot of times I would nod out. And I cannot tell you how many times I almost set the house on fire. That's number one. But in this particular day, and I remember it, I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and, and again, it's scary because it kind of just happened to me again just now, uh, which again tells me that it, does it does does a lack of sleep bring these symptoms on, which I refer to as somewhat psychotic. But I recall sitting on the dryer, smoking a cigarette, and at this point in time, I was not dozing off. And what I actually started to feel was my body, if this makes any sense, rise out from inside. So now I'm now almost like no longer within myself. I'm I'm not even in my own skin. And I felt as if I was floating above myself and watching myself in a movie. And I would actually try to make comments to myself, but was unable to speak. Almost as if like you were yelling at yourself. And I don't remember exactly what I was yelling at myself. Uh, It might have been, you know, stop smoking or, you know, don't burn the house down down this time around. But I remember pointing my finger and kind of talking to myself as I I floated above myself. Uh, So I guess you could call it somewhat of an out-of-body experience. Now, the interesting thing about this is when I would speak to my psychiatrist about it at the time, and again, we're going back a long time ago, guys. We're going back to 2009. I would tell him about this. The biggest problem of all is I would blame it on my medications, whether it be Depakote or whether it be Cymbalta. And uh, there was a point in time I was on Seroquel as well, which, my goodness, that didn't work too well. My ex-wife used to have to carry me back to bed. Uh, the point being is I would tell my psychiatrist about all of this stuff, but the one thing that I used to leave out is that I was smoking marijuana. So I was actually never, ever truthful with my doctor. So, you know, that all these times where I would say, oh, the meds are not working, the meds are making me worse, the meds are making me sleep too much, the meds are making me stay up too late, 
uh, whatever it might be, all along, I was using other drugs. I was using marijuana. And I know some of you out there may say, well, it's not cocaine. It's not an opiate. It's not heroin. It's not meth. It's not any of those hardcore, so to speak, drugs. But I'm going to tell you right now, marijuana, and, and I don't care what state you live in, if it's been approved for medical or medicinal purposes, that's all well and good. Guys, go out there and smoke your marijuana. I am all for it. Please, whatever they call it, toke up for me, if that's a, if that's a phrase that anybody used. Do a bong hit for Mr. Joe. But not if you have bipolar disorder, because it doesn't work, and I'm living proof I am the same man that was in constant denial for so many years, telling people that, oh, you know, marijuana, it helps my mood, it helps me stabilize it, you know, when I'm feeling anxious, uh, you know, if that person can drink a glass of wine to calm themselves down, why aren't I allowed to smoke a joint to calm myself down? That's the least that I should be able to do. So... You know, marijuana, for as far as I know, could have been the uh, underlying cause as to why I was literally watching myself in a movie for a vast majority of the time when I was medicated and, and what we call engaged in depersonal, depersonalization disorder, which ultimately are, you know, when you present that to a doctor, when you present that to a psychiatrist, that can be considered to be delusions or delusional, and which is where the schizoaffective diagnosis came in. But little did they know I was using marijuana, and if they had been known that I was using marijuana, there's a very good chance that that schizoaffective disorder never ever would have even come into play. Now, here's what unfortunately puts it back into play again, is here is Mr. Joe... Um, currently on Lamictal. I am at 75 milligrams. I'm due to go up to 100 milligrams uh, Friday, coming up in, you know, five, six days. And uh, I could tell you that Mr. Joe is clean and sober, not only from all the drugs that I've mentioned in the past, but clean and sober from marijuana. I'm not smoking marijuana. And it's been uh, over a month since I have engaged in any marijuana use and have never felt better in my life. And that's the God's honest truth. But it's it's safe to say that, unfortunately, these are symptoms that are still going to sit with me at times, which tells me there is a very, very good chance that I am going to need an antipsychotic at one point or another. Because what just transpired here, guys, uh, was a very similar circumstance in which my eyes kind of closed and I, I almost felt like I was in a dream state, but I was not dreaming, if that makes any sense. And I basically had a party going on in my head. And the unfortunate thing is, not only was it a racing party, so to speak, and what I mean by racing is just lots of people all over the place. I, I can't help but pinpoint one particular person, and I don't know who the person is, but in my head... Um, seemed to be a person of color, um, a, 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 a female presence who, uh, you know, seemed to be middle-aged and was kind of just hanging out with me. And the scary thing is I was hanging out with her, but here I am in my own home sitting on a couch and 
you know, I was really literally, and I say the parties going on in my head, um, and what I mean by that is there's a constant racing thought thing going on. But but interestingly enough, we were at a party, if that makes any sense. At a party that was replicating the room that I was actually sitting in right now. Uh, and then I snapped out of it and I hit the record button. And I said, it's time to talk to Mr. Joe's audience because we got we got to let them know what's going on now. I don't know if I've been in a, what I refer to as a hypomanic state of mind. I want to hope and pray that I am. Because if I am in a hypomanic state of mind, the schizoaffective, um, the schizoaffective diagnosis can go out the window. And what I mean by that is the only reason why a person gets a schizoaffective diagnosis would be if they are having hallucinations, delusions, and what I mean by delusions, paranoia, things of that nature, um, and we'll get into some of the beliefs that I had. I, I honestly forgot about all of them. We're probably not going to get up to that until part two, uh, because I'd like to cut my podcast down to about 40 to 45 minutes. I don't want to lose my audience, okay? Um, but, you know, you basically you have psychotic features with schizoaffective disorder, and when you have your psychotic features, you don't have them while you're in the midst of a manic or a depressive state of mind. You need to be stable and having those psychotic features in order to have schizoaffective disorder. So what I'm hopeful of is that I'm really in more of a manic state of mind rather than a hypomanic state of mind, because in hypomania... You know, you're really not in that manic state of mind. So you can't call yourself stable necessarily. Um, so any of those psychotic symptoms, they would not really fall into the schizoaffective category. Basically, if I'm feeling hypomanic or manic uh, and I'm having those psychotic symptoms, they're more along the lines of just psychotic symptoms associated with bipolar 1, if that makes sense. Now, if I could sit here and honestly say that I was stable and having those psychotic symptoms, well, you know what, I could, I could say that unfortunately or whatever way, you know, I don't like to use the word unfortunately, but for without, with certain, I would be a schizoaffective bipolar type. And uh, I have to assume that I am in somewhat of a hypomanic or manic stage, and I'm grateful for that in the sense where these psychotic feelings or thoughts are occurring, and uh, it would lead me to believe that it is more of symptoms of bipolar disorder rather, rather than schizoaffective disorder. And I say this because I'm easy to, it's easy to identify when you're in the hypomanic state of mind. Uh, my sleep has not been great. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, especially, uh, two nights ago, three nights, for the last two nights, it's been very, very off. And, uh, I have been super, super productive, super duper productive at work, uh, doing a lot of work and, and very speedy, so to speak, but in a, in a pretty good sense, but nothing like that it's ever been, which has to tell me that the medication is working for the most part. 
It makes me very happy. Again, now I'm not at that therapeutic dose now, so I got to get there and I have to be patient. Uh, one of the other things, guys, that I'm dealing with, so let's just assume that I am in somewhat of a manic state of mind, maybe not the extreme mania. Well, well actually, let's say we're in a hypomanic state of mind with psychotic features right now. Uh, and some of the other things that I've been dealing with over the last couple of days, which has been somewhat frightening, I have to be honest, there's been some mumbling going on in my head, and I can't really identify it or pinpoint it. Uh, nothing like it used to be. Uh, these medications have certainly helped me in the sense where, you know, I use the word party and <laughs> when I'm not medicated, man, there is a party going on in my brain. And now that I'm medicated, that party has kind of stopped and uh, it's almost like the party has kind of, you know, moved out a little bit. So instead, I'm hearing a little bit of voices, uh, but, but, but more specifically mumbling and that's been on and off the past couple of days. The other thing that's been going on is I've had some extreme paranoia over the last couple of days. Uh, feeling that uh, people are angry at me at work um, for no reason whatsoever. Uh, I've been a little drawn into the clock, the time on the clock, and uh, wondering if people are staring at me through the actual clock. And... I'm not really sure um, why I'm feeling like that. But the good thing is I kind of got a grip on reality and I just know that it's not real. So here I am talking about all these things, but I, but I know it's not real. Yet I can't help myself but to think these things. And even though I know it's not real, what it does is it causes a little bit of anxiety. Uh, nothing that I cannot deal with is certainly not what I would refer to as panic attacks, but a little bit of anxiety. And what tells me is that I am still suffering from this mixed state, unfortunately, is uh, right now I have a, an overwhelming need to or desire to sleep. And I don't know if you could tell it in my voice where I'm speedy but down, speedy but down, and that's kind of how I feel right now. Nothing that is not allowed, this is not uh, preventing me from functioning well, there is no irritability associated with it whatsoever, uh, which is a blessing, and I'm very thankful for that because that's probably the hardest thing for my, my, my wife to deal with. And the one thing that, and for me to deal with for that matter, um, you know, when I am not medicated and I'm going through those heavy-duty manic phases that last seven to ten days where I'm uh, thinking about injuring myself or possibly going ahead and doing that and injuring, you know, actually cutting myself or hurting myself because I'm in such a distraught, manic state of mind with irritability, uh, the fact that I am nowhere near that is such a relief and such a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, so again, I'm very grateful and I'm looking towards moving up in exactly, let's see, today is Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So six days, I will be up to 100 milligrams, and we are definitely going to work our way up to 200. So, so much for the privacy of my milligram intake. <laughs> now, again, if we don't see a vast, a, a tremendous improvement in terms of those um, psychotic like symptoms come, let's say, 150 milligrams, I am going to have to explore 
uh, an antipsychotic. The problem is I have been on through, I have been on most of them already and oh, I do not respond very well to any of them. Uh, namely, Abilify I recall being on and that was, that was no walk in the park for me. That was a real, real tough one. So, um, that's that. Now, let's talk about, let's, let's go back to when I was a child. Let's go back because I have to just pinpoint a couple of things. Uh, and, and I know I've mentioned in the past that my sister listens to this podcast. She's one of the few people, one of the only, she's actually the only person other than my wife that knows who I am, where my neighborhood is. Uh, my, 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 my real name, my children's name, she knows all of it. And she listens to this podcast and uh, let me start by saying, I hope this doesn't upset her, but, um, I need to speak to my audience about some of the things that I experienced as a child and a lot of the things that I held in, um, didn't want to share it with anybody and, and call this for what it is. Maybe it's a, a, a confessional of some sort. Maybe it's to just, speak to my audience and, and see if they can relate to me in some way. But, uh, and, and they'll be brief. It's a brief, brief thing because there was not a whole lot that went on that I could remember in being a child. But this is pre-teenage years. If I was to put a number on it, I would say I was probably around the age of five or six. And I have an amazing memory because I could actually think all the way back to when I was three years old. And a lot of people are not able to do that. And I recall actually climbing out of my crib at one point, which people tell me is absolutely insane that I could remember that far back. But I do. I do remember that far back. And I remember walking it ar around in an old, small apartment before uh, my mom and my dad and myself had moved to the um, suburban uh, lifestyle of of Mr. Joe's neighborhood. And before that, I was in a very, uh, very busy city-like, I guess you could say, lifestyle in which we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And I still remember those days. So I remember that before the age of five. Now, around the age of six, what I do remember, which I find interesting, is there was always a time where I had, I guess what you can call either hallucinations and, and yeah, we'll stop right there. We'll call it hallucinations. And, and I know as a youngster, as, as typically a five and a six or a seven-year-old, uh, maybe even a little younger, who knows, whatever, we all have imaginary friends. I, I get that. You know, I think, I think we've all had imaginary friends. But something that I never shared with my family, I've never shared with my wife. In fact, I've never even shared with any of my doctors is... One of the things that I used to do as a child, which probably should have been indicative that something was not right as I was growing up, is I didn't have just one imaginary friend. Um, I had a whole group of friends, and this is not something, and I want to make sure everybody understands something. The interesting thing is this is not something that interfered in my everyday life. It was more along the lines of when I was happy, um, which would make sense. Maybe even back then I had a little bit of mania. It was something that was in. I know bipolar is not to come, supposed to come out, 
um, until those eight, until a little bit later in life. But look at Bipolar Bob, one of our uh, buddies that also does podcasting. He's got three young children who have all been diagnosed with bipolar. So it makes perfect sense that I would have some bipolar-like symptoms. So maybe I was in a manic state of mind, but I do recall being happy. And I had a whole group of friends. And I specifically remember seeing these friends and having them in the backyard with me. And one of the things that used to go on is they would line up one by one, and I would push each and every one of them in a swing. And, uh, you know, they would, one would come into the swing, I would give them a few pushes, and I would tell them that they had to get out. Sometimes they would argue with me, sometimes they would be compliant. Uh, but I remember that happening a lot. And it's scary because even at the age of 42, I could remember what these children look like. So I don't know. All I know is that's something that used to happen. Um, and it's scary. So now, how did I treat that? Well, I didn't self-medicate. I'll tell you that right now uh, because I was too little. One of the things that is disturbing, though, I recall my parents. I mean, my goodness, I was, uh, you know, smoking cigarettes was widely accepted back in that day, I mean, you got to figure, uh, we were in the 80s at that time, and my parents were hardcore smokers, and I still remember there being a time when my dad was working in the garage, and he had offered me a drag of his cigarette, and I couldn't have been any more than seven or eight years old, and I took a drag, took a drag, and he thought it was funny. Um, so I remember doing that. Now, I'm obviously not going to refer to that as self-medication, okay? But it just goes to show you the kind of lifestyle that I was living. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, as I got older, it didn't get a whole lot better because my parents condoned smoking. You know, they pushed it on me. They said, you know, it'll make you feel better. It'll lessen your anxiety, things of that, of that nature. Um, so one of the other things that I wanted to talk about, um, was, uh, oh, and you know what? I, I'm sorry, but I got to jump back to what I was feeling again. You know, we talk about the little bit of uh, mumbling that's been going on. There are a couple other things that have been bothering me as of late. And uh, they've, been f they, they've been instilling a little bit of fear in me. Um, I, I've been hearing some very deep breathing. Um, not a voice, but some deep breathing. A lot of times when I'm and obviously it's not my own self that's doing the breathing, but a lot of times when I'm going to bed at night, um, trying to fall asleep, I kind of hear this breathing that goes on, and it's not me, it's not my wife, it's, it's, it's something that is uh, going on, and uh, I, I, I tried to see if it was myself, I had a pair of headphones in one night, and I said, maybe I'm breathing, and I'm kind of hearing myself in the headphones, and I took the headphones off, and uh, that didn't seem to help. Uh, so that's been coming and going. And the other thing that's been happening, which is a little strange, and this is something that had gone on for quite some time in my life and, and had recently gone away. It specifically happens to me while I'm driving that I feel somebody pushing on the back seat of my car. Um, you know, so I'll be in the driver's seat. And what I'll feel is somebody pushing up against that seat, almost as if like there's a hand that's pushing through the seat and I feel the seat pushing into my back. 
and there'll be times where I kind of push back and, you know, I'm, I'm almost pushing back at the person or whatever the feeling is. And there's even been times where I've, I've gotten so worried that I, I, I wrap my hands around the seat to see if I could grab onto whatever is pushing onto me. So that's something that's been coming and going as of late. And that had not been around for quite some time. So um, antipsychotic, you know, here I come if... If this mood stabilizer, Lamictal, does not start to work on the mania and, and reduce some of these psychotic symptoms as I increase the dosage. So just wanted to jump ahead and say that to you. Um, uh, and only because my, you know, my childhood uh, did, did, re- did remind me of some of these symptoms because I was going to now step into my preteen years around the age of, a, I will say, 11 um, maybe 12 the most. And what I do remember is being uh, that age and constantly hearing very, and and it would only happen at night. And I know, again, a lot of you will maybe say, or maybe it was him just being scared of the dark or, um, you know, having little dreams or whatnot. But let me tell you something, I was fully awake. And I remember hearing very, very deep, deep voices saying things such as go to bed, wake up, go to bed, wake up, um, you know, not a whole lot of meaning to it, but in a very deep voice. And I would a lot of times walk up uh, stairs because my uh, room happened to be downstairs at the time. And I'd walk upstairs and I would wake my parents up and I would say to my dad, dad, you know, are you talking to me? No, you know, Mr. Joe, Mr. Mr. Son Joe. I've been sleeping. I didn't say a word. So, you know, I would just push it aside. And I really, really wouldn't do much about it. I really wouldn't do much about it. I would just kind of live with it. And again, it would come and go. Um, So now fast forward into what I call my teenage years, uh, specifically 16 years old. And this is when I can say without a doubt that I started to quote-unquote, self-medicate through substance abuse, and uh, namely alcohol and marijuana. Um, you know, thinking back, I, I've mentioned so many times in this podcast that I do not suffer from the depressive symptoms of bipolar. And that, 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 that is, remains true to this day. But in thinking back, and I had to really, really think back to my teen years and some of the stuff that used to go on. Now, I've gotten older, and with age, my bipolar has certainly changed, to say the least. And what I mean by that is, no, I don't suffer from those depressive symptoms any longer. It's mostly manic episodes, other than the 188, well, no, I'm sorry, 106-day depression that I was in. I was in a 188 withdrawal of Suboxone, but that 106 day of depression, uh, you know, other than that deep, dark depression that I was in coming off Suboxone the first time around, uh, I don't recall a whole lot of depressive symptoms. Now, just so you know, my my wife tells me different. Um, Now, she will say that there are times when I appear to be much more depressed uh, than I would ever uh, imagine that I was that I that I would actually feel, and you know maybe it makes sense, guys. You know a lot of times, what would be the difference if you think about it? When we are manic, 
and we're on top of the world, and I'm not talking about that irritable phase that we might be in, but that manicky, you know, I'm on top of the world, and nobody could tell me what to do, and I have all the answers, and, um, you know, uh, um, I, I'm the best, <laughs> You know, I, I'm I'm the one in charge and all those things. We don't see some of our obnoxious behaviors, the obnoxious behaviors where, you know, I wanted to be the center of attention all the time. So if I'm not seeing those manic symptoms when I'm unmedicated, maybe I wasn't seeing the depressive symptoms either. Now, the thing I will tell you is I didn't spend a whole lot of time sleeping my days away. But in going back to my teenage years, there is no doubt in my mind that there were periods of time in which I went through the basic highs and lows of bipolar disorder. When I was high, I had this ability to rap and rhyme and write poetry. And I would do it for hours and hours on end. And I was creative and, um, you know, I would... I would at the time I remember I used to have an answering machine and I would spend hours uh a lot of us don't use answering machines anymore we have our voicemail on our cell phone but I um I would spend hours on my answering machine and I would make I would get background music and I would sing raps and about people leaving their message at the tone I call you back when I get home I can't leave a message at the current time you know I mean things like that um, and I would spend hours doing that. And then, if I recall correctly, I would go into those depressive states of mind where I would just sleep and sleep. And, you know, my friends would call, are you coming out tonight, Mr. Joe? No, I don't want to go. I don't want to come out. I just want to stay in my bed. I want to stay in my bed and, you know, watch TV. And I don't want to see anybody. don't want to see anybody in the world. And it started around 16 years old, I guess, where I just could not take it anymore. So uh, when I would sit in my room and I would be depressed because I would be alone and I had no desire to go out with my buddies, you know, whether it be 16, 17, 18, and let's stop right there between the ages of 16, 17, and 18, you know, and I was laying in my bed and depressed and I would say to myself, well, let me try to make the best of this and, you know, try to get a little bit more happy. And, you know, I know that um, marijuana can be considered to be a downer to some extent, or at least I think that's what it is. But those are the times when I used to engage in smoking marijuana by myself. I'd blow it out the window. I'd, uh, you know, whether it be rolling a joint or engaging in uh, bowl hits, whatever it may be. I was depressed and I was home and I said, listen, I'm going to make the best of this. And at least if I can't be out with them because I don't have an ounce of energy to even walk 10 feet, I'm going to enjoy myself here and try to uplift myself. Uh, enjoy this movie that I'm watching. Enjoy this radio station that I might be listening to. And I'm going to smoke marijuana and I'm going to get blasted out of my mind. And I would smoke and I would smoke and I would smoke. And then there were times where I would, um, um, you know, believe it or not, I would step into that hypermanic or manic state of mind. And for some reason, and I would imagine it's because I was so elated, I would start to reach for the bottle. 
And by the bottle, I mean either beer or vodka. And, um, you know, it was almost like I was so high that I needed to depress myself and bring myself down a notch. And this is the type of stuff that went on throughout my entire high school tenure, so to speak. Um, you know, I would drink, I would drink and I would drink. And there are many times that I was injured because of it many times. And I think I've given you guys the story about the very first time that I had tried marijuana and drank on the same evening. And I thought it was cool to, to do, to surf on the top of a automobile that was going like 40 miles per hour. And I flew off and, um, nearly killed myself. Um, but believe me, I was right back at it within the next couple of days, drinking and smoking again, because that became a lifestyle for me because I did not know what was going on in my brain. I had no idea. So now let's fast forward quickly. And I think after this, we're going to end and we'll probably get into uh, part two. We'll talk about uh, my my first marriage, not, well, I'm not going to mention my ex-wife at all because, my God, she has put me through a living hell this past week. What I thought was to be a very friendly relationship because we are um, the parents of two beautiful children. Uh, you know, this is a woman that might be suffering from a mental illness undiagnosed as well because she started text messaging me. And believe it or not, it was such a shame. Uh, an hour before my doctor's appointment this past Tuesday, I was looking so forward to seeing my doctor. I had a 9.15 appointment and around 8 o'clock, the text messages started pouring through. And I am going to read those to you next podcast because... Uh, we're going to talk about my, my not, again, not my marriage, but my life with my children growing up in which I abused cocaine and, and opiates. And I know I've shared those stories with you before, but I'm now going to talk about how I applied it to my mental health and fixing things. But I'm going to tell you right now, when I was in college... And I did not go to college. I did. I was in college. My first year, I was in Mr. Joe's neighborhood. I stayed home, so to speak. Um, and I will tell you, there is no doubt in my mind that the time that I was home, as compared to the time that I went away and left Mr. Joe's neighborhood, up until the time that I came back home after college and got my very first job before I got married, there was not a period in that time that I was not abusing drugs and alcohol. At this point in time, I had uh, still, again, I had not touched the hardcore drugs. There was no cocaine. There was no opiates. None of that was a problem. It was all alcohol and marijuana. And in my college years, and let's stick to college, I was the typical up and down. You know, we don't have to talk about it again. We, we know the symptoms of bipolar. We get it. But what would happen to me is, especially the manic stuff that would go on, I had a girlfriend for four years up there, and she was a wonderful human being. There was not a single time in my life that I could stay faithful to that woman, okay? Um, all I cared about was uh, going out, getting women, bringing them back. Now, the one good thing is I was always safe. My God, I was always careful other than the one story that I had told you guys in which I did not use a condom that resulted in nine months of panic attacks. Okay. Um, and I told you the guys that story in anxiety 101, if I'm not mistaken. But besides that, 
for the most part, what I did was I treated my bipolar disorder the entire time that I was away in college through alcohol and marijuana. I mean, that's really what I did. Um, I ran around trying to find women each and every night because to me, I found that to be exciting. I found that to be something that was worth my while. The fact that I had a girlfriend who had no idea what I was doing and I could not control my manic symptoms. So I would run around town and, and, and I thought it was interesting because um, it would be a gamble for me. It would be a risk because I would take these women home knowing damn well that my girlfriend was out and about in town looking for me and wondering where I was and I would get people to cover for me. Oh, maybe he's in this bar or maybe he's in that bar. And, you know, it would be exciting for me because I knew she was looking for me and I had another woman back in my apartment. So it was that it was more of a game than anything, more of a game in conjunction with the fact that I cared nothing about who I was with and what, what I was doing in that bedroom and all I cared about was having sex and that's really what it was because I had I didn't care about consequences um you know and 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 unfortunately I would usually feel so horrible about some of the things that I did and a lot of times guys I didn't even have to be drunk I didn't have to be wasted I didn't have to be under the influence to engage in these in these manic things that I would engage in um, you know, you don't think about what you're going to do. You just do it. You just do it when you're manic and you don't realize you're doing it. Okay. Um, and I would feel so guilty about the way that I, the things that I would do is the next day I'd wake up and I'd start drinking at eight o'clock in the morning and I would drink and I would drink and I would drink until, you know, two o'clock in the morning. And this, this would go on. This went on five, six days a, a week sometimes. Um, and you know, and then I would take a little bit of a break and I would be in my depression for two weeks. Um, you know, coming down off the alcohol, it certainly wouldn't help. There's no doubt about that because, you know, those are one of the, uh, one of the effects of, I would think that of anybody, maybe, and maybe not, maybe it's just bipolar, you know, maybe the normal person who drinks, who doesn't have a mental illness feels a little crappy the next day. You know, you're hung over, um, maybe you're a little depressed. Guys, for me, I'm telling you, man, if I drank, there was there was no recovery in sight, or so it seemed. I was miserable and depressed for at least two weeks. I could not, I could not bring my brain chemicals back up enough to make me feel well. The only thing that would make me feel well, again, was to refrain from the drinking. And then slowly but surely, my manic symptoms would return. I would start to feel a little bit better and a little bit better. Uh, and then I would smoke marijuana because I'd be at that level where I guess I would imagine that I was starting to get too high in my mind. And I'd say, oh, you know, like, oh, this doesn't feel so great anymore. You know, I'm a little irritable now. I was real happy. Uh, I was going to class. I was productive. I was talkative. Um, you know, I was DJing on a radio station. I was doing a whole bunch of great, wonderful things. But now I'm getting a little bit too high. So let me smoke weed and uh, let me bring myself down a notch. And, and before you knew it, I was down. And then um, you know, I was drinking alcohol again. And again, all along the lines of self-medication and trying to manage my bipolar symptoms through 
self-medicating, specifically with alcohol and marijuana. And it just doesn't work. Doesn't work. It's not possible, everybody. You know, the, the things that we do on the side, the exercise, the meditation, those things are all wonderful. Okay, those things are safe. Those are safe alternatives to substance abuse and self-medication. But, you know, they, they're all extra things that we need to do and um, that help us manage our bipolar symptoms. But without a doubt, they are never going to cure bipolar. Um, you, you need medication in order to control the mood swings. And unfortunately, I really had no idea. You know, guys, there was a time in my college life that I was so delusional, and I didn't even have to be under the influence. I used to believe that I had a deceased brother. I don't know where it came from. I don't know how I developed it in my mind. Um... It was as recent as five years ago when I had first met my wife that I was still under the impression that I had a deceased brother. And it wasn't until I was in my right state of mind, and I would imagine that I was in a manic, psychotic state of mind when I shared it with my wife, I didn't even recall telling her this. And it was when I was stable that she brought it up to me, and I guess I even gave her a date as to which my my brother had uh, passed away, and there was one year where I was in a stable state of mind, and she turned to me and she said, this must be a really rough day for you. Uh, I'm so sorry. And I said, what on the earth are you talking about? I mean, what are you talking about? And she told me. And um, the only reason why I remember college and me running around telling people that I had a, um, you know, a deceased brother is because some of my best friends in the world have uh, reminded me that that's something that I used to do. And they used to try to talk to me and explain to me, Joe, that, Mr. Joe, that's not possible. You don't. I mean, I've known you for a very long time, and I don't recall you having a brother. So, you know, if you, if you want to talk about delusions and uh, hallucinations, I mean, there is no doubt that uh, these are some of the things that I suffered through throughout my life. Now, uh, we have to talk again. I want to give you a little uh, indication about what's going to go on. We discussed college, and there's probably more to college. I don't want to get too far. There, there are some things that I discussed in my previous episodes, specifically alcohol 101, anxiety 101. I believe well, both of those touch upon some of the more devastating things that took place in my college years, um, one of them including a car accident, which I found myself going through a windshield and landing on the roof of a car. I mean, I'm sorry, on the hood of a car. Um, so you'll hear about that. You'll hear about um, my incident in which I had unprotected sex uh, with somebody that really ultimately ended up uh, causing panic disorders for an entire uh, nine months and me utilizing the yellow pages at the time uh, because I was a hypochondriac. Um, they had this really cool system in which you can call this hotline and determine what you were dying from. And I would literally call every single night to find out what I was going to die from. Um, one of the other things that I failed to mention is my mania was so extreme in college that I ran around fighting just about every single night. You know, people didn't want to be around me. And believe it or not, there are still people to this day 
if they were to see me out in public, they would probably be scared to see me. And it's sad. It really is because I am not, when I am stable, I am not that type of a man. I'm really actually, and I don't want to pat myself on the back, but I'm a man who works with children. I'm a man who adores children. That's been working with children and adults with special needs since I am 16 years old. You know, without, without patting myself too much on the back, I'll tell you right now, I am very good at my job. I am an expert on autism. Um, and, you know, I love, I love the children that I work with. They're amazing. They're my life. So I could, it's amazing because I could put on that show to some extent. Uh, no matter how I was ever feeling, I was always able to put that show on when I was with the children. I really didn't have a, a very hard time doing that. Now, what I will tell you is that when I came home from college, and we'll get a little bit more into this during part two of this podcast, when I came home from college and I had to get my first teaching job, um, when I was not drinking and self-medicating and using marijuana, I was flirting or attempting to be with every single woman that was in the workplace. A lot of times, almost getting myself in trouble. And if I wasn't doing that, my attendance was so inconsistent during my very first big teaching job, so to speak, okay? Um, There is a point in my life where I utilized my certification. And although I wasn't a lead teacher, I'm going to give it to you right now, I was a TA, and that's kind of where I started, a teacher's assistant, uh, and I simultaneously did some student teaching. Um, You would think that I would want my job uh, to do good at my job and to be present for my job, Um, and I specifically recall many, many times waking up and saying, I just can't do it. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I can't, and I called in so many times that one of my bosses ended up calling me into the office. Now, as somebody who was probably in a manic state of mind, I thought my boss was calling me into the office to give me a raise, to tell me what a wonderful job I was doing. But guess what? That's not why she was calling me into the office. She was calling me into the office to tell me something very, very different. But when you have bipolar disorder, guys, you just don't know. You just don't, you don't realize, you don't see it for what it is. It's a shame because there's so many of us out there that are not medicated, that are thinking we are doing the right thing. We're hurting loved ones. We're not doing it intentionally. We're doing it because we can't control our moods and and we want to believe that we can control our moods, but we just simply can't. We can't do it without medication. So we'll talk a little bit more about substance abuse and treating bipolar disorder with substance abuse during my next episode. Um, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can find me on Twitter. My handle is at Mr. Bipolar Joe. If you'd like to reach me by email, any questions, comments, concerns, or if you would like to share a story with me, uh, I keep everything anonymous, confidential. I will not share your name unless you want me to. I would love to give this story. You can reach me by email, Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com. Everybody, thank you for listening. You have a great, great weekend. Um, and that's it. I will talk to you guys soon. You have a great day now. Thanks again for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast.